Hi, it's Eric again. If it feels like I'm always asking you for money, it's because I'm always asking you for money. That's because producing a high-quality podcast like Making Gay History costs a lot. Between ten dollars and $20,000 for each episode, for the audio and all the extra resources and archival photos you'll find on our website. One way to help us keep bringing LGBTQ history to life through the voices of the people who lived it is to join our Patreon community, $5 a month or $60 a year. And for that, you get a front row seat to my interviews with present-day history makers, behind-the-scenes production conversations, and delicious clips from my archive that we couldn't include in regular episodes. Right now, we have 200 Patreon followers. That's just a fraction of our many thousands of listeners. Can you help us double that by the 55th anniversary of Stonewall this coming Pride Month? We can't do what we do without all our supporters. And if you aren't one already, I hope you will be soon. Or, if you are already, get one of your friends to sign up to join our Patreon community at patreon.com slash makinggayhistory. That's patreon.com slash makinggayhistory. Or just go to makinggayhistory.com and hit the Patreon subscription button on our homepage. Thanks so much. Now, on to the episode you've chosen to hear. I'm Eric Marcus, and this is the Making Gay History Podcast. In our third episode, you'll meet Edith Ide, whose pen name was Lisa Ben. Back in the 1950s, a lot of people who got involved in the movement didn't use their real names, because if you were found out, you could lose your job and even lose your family. So Edith's story starts even before that, in 1947, when she published what she called Vice Versa, America's Gayest Magazine. And really, it was a newsletter for lesbians. She typed it on her office typewriter at RKO Pictures, where she was a young secretary. Her boss told her she should look busy, uh, but not knit and not read. So what do you do? You You write a newsletter for lesbians in 1947 and give them out to your friends. But before she could tell me her story, I had to find her. And all I had to go on was her pen name and that she lived in California. Though it took me three months and 26 phone calls to find her. This is pre-internet, so there was no choice. And on the 26th phone call, she answered. So not long after, I was sitting with Edith on her enclosed porch with two of her 13 cats. She'd bought the house with money from years of working as a secretary. She hated working as a secretary. I'd read that Edith was well-known in the 50s for singing parodies of popular songs in Los Angeles gay clubs. She wrote her own lyrics as a protest against the demeaning jokes gay entertainers told for the benefit of straights. And if you can imagine, the straights would show up at the clubs in the evening to see how the other half lived, and they'd stand in the back. So I asked Edith if she could sing a few songs for me. So here she is, Edith Ide, live from the front porch of her Burbank bungalow. You can't not smile. Uh, I'm off now? You're on. Oh, I'm on? You can test and I'll just... Oh, okay. I'm ready to warm up. Yeah, I need to warm up a little bit. I should tune up a little bit first. Hello, young lovers, whatever you are. I hope your problems are few. All you cute butchers lined up at the bar, I've had a love like you. I knew the way I felt, but 
I didn't know how to go about finding someone else that was that way and there was just no no way to find out in those days you know everything was pretty closed uh, about things like that I wrote vice versa mainly to keep myself company because I thought although I don't know any gay gals now by the time I finish a couple of these magazines I'm sure I will I was such a little optimist and then I'll hand the magazines out for free I never charged for them mm -hmm. I felt that that would be wrong but uh, I would it was just some writing that I wanted to do to get it off my chest and I was a very lonely person and I could sort of fantasize this way by uh, writing the magazine you see and uh, so that's the way the magazine was. And I put in five copies at a time with carbon paper. And I rolled it through twice. So that made ten copies of vice versa. And that's all I could, all I could manage. You see, there were no duplicating machines in those days. I would also say to them, as I, to, to the girls as I passed the magazines out, I said, now when you get through with this, don't throw it away. Pass it on to another, another gay gal. We didn't use the term lesbian so much then. We just said gay gal. Mm -hmm. And I said, in that way, although uh, it, it will pass from friend to friend, and uh, it's not dated material, so it will never get stale. I mean, they're just fiction and poetry and that sort of thing, book reports and things of that nature. There were very few books around at the time, but I wrote a book review on Well of Loneliness and uh, a couple of other ones I can't remember. And then if there were any movies around that had the slightest tinge of two girls being interested in one another or something, I would take that story within the movie and play it up and say, oh, such and such a movie has a scene in it with two, uh, two uh, young ladies and uh, they seem to be interested in one another or something like that. And I would, I would uh, play it up. And then I wrote poetry, not a great deal of it, but a few things. Mm -hmm. And uh, then... Uh, Oh, I'd write the the end, the what the column, and that was just ideas that happened off the top of my head that I would write about and say, wouldn't it be wonderful if, or uh, you know, I'd just sort of uh, uh, fantasize about not not fantasize exactly, but imagine imagine. Thank you. Um, uh, about how things might be in the future with us. It was sort of a light thing, a frivolous thing. It wasn't. Uh, anything of great merit, I don't think, but it was just to round out the magazine because I was getting awfully scarce on material. What were some of the things you imagined? Well, I imagined that perhaps we would have a lot of magazines <laughs> and that perhaps even movies might be made about us. And uh, I would hope that someday we would not be looked down on with so much disdain and uh, things of that nature. Well, I think this may be where you, this is the column, it's, oh, this is the article, Here to Stay. It says, whether the unsympathetic majority approves or not, it looks as though the third sex is here to stay. Yeah, that's the one. Would, shall I read that or would you prefer to read it uh, onto the tape? Because I'd like to read it onto the tape. So, okay, okay. go ahead. September 1947, Volume 1, Number 4. Whether the unsympathetic majority approves or not, it looks as though the third sex is here to stay. With the advancement of psychiatry... And related subjects, the world is becoming more and more aware that there are those in our midst who feel no attraction for the opposite sex. 
It is not an uncommon sight to observe mannishly attired women, or even those dressed in more feminine garb, strolling along the street hand in hand, or even arm in arm, in an attitude which certainly would seem to indicate far more than mere friendliness. Homosexuality is becoming less and less a taboo subject, and although still considered by the general public as contemptible or treated with derision, I venture to predict that there will be a time in the future when gay folk will be accepted as part of regular society. Just as certain subjects, once considered unfit for discussion, now are used as themes in many of our motion pictures, I believe that the time will come when, say, Stephen Gordon will step unrestrained from the pages of Radcliffe Hall's admirable novel, Well of Loneliness, onto the silver screen. And once precedent has been broken by one such motion picture, others will be sure to follow. Perhaps even vice versa might be the forerunner of better magazines dedicated to the third sex, which in some future time might take their rightful place on the newsstands beside other publications, to be available openly and without restriction to those who wish to read them. In these days of frozen foods, motion picture palaces, compact apartments, modern innovations, and female independence, there is no reason why a woman should have to look to a man for food and shelter in return for raising his children and keeping his house in order, unless she really wants to. Never before have circumstances and conditions been so suitable for those of lesbian tendencies. I guess I did use uh, the term there. Gives me chills, 1947. You had guts. <laughs> <laughs> well, it uh, surprises me now, too, reading back... Uh, I mean, reading this now, because I haven't read it for so long, I had to stop and think, well, did I write that or did somebody else? But I wrote it. That's me in there. <laughs> That's pretty bold stuff. Well, I guess it is. I never thought of it as being, uh, being bold at the time. I was just, uh, as I say, I was just sort of fantasizing. But it all has come to pass. <laughs> what Makes has... me feel like a fortune teller. <laughs> yeah, that's key to the D. <laughs> if your disposition's gay, be mighty glad you're made that way. Don't frown, cause your world's upside down. Why should you be thought a fool for not conforming to the rule? It has its advantages abound. Now the ladies are the fairest sexes everybody knows. Their charms are emphasized in ads and even moving picture shows. I can't convince the fellows I'm not daffy in the head cause I'm saving all my kisses for the little gals instead. Mama Nature played it smart when she tied a string around my heart and said no, 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 no to me. My kind of lovin's lots of fun, but I'm glad when all is said and done, there's no, uh, no responsibility. Now science claims it likes repel and opposites attract, but since I've been in Hollywood, I sure don't hold that that's a fact. Whenever I see a likely lassie swaying down the street, I must curb my natural urge to whistle at each one I meet. Never act as though you mind If people sometimes seem unkind Keep smiling, though you may be blue And no matter what you are If you hitch your wagon to a star You'll find your share of happiness, too That's wonderful <laughs>
I spoke with Edith a few times in the months after I first interviewed her, and each time she answered her phone, she said, Hello, Eric, in her incredibly upbeat voice. And I asked her how she knew it would be me, and she said that no one ever called. And if the phone rang, she just figured it would be me. When I started work on this podcast, I decided to call Edith just on the off chance that she was still answering her phone. From what I could tell from a quick online search, she was still alive, and she would have been about 93 or 94 at this point. But her phone was disconnected. It took a few emails and phone calls to find out that Edith died on December 22, 2015. She was 94. What really surprised me was that I didn't know. And I didn't know because there wasn't a single obituary published anywhere for one of the earliest, most optimistic and engaging fortune tellers of the LGBTQ civil rights movement. To jog my memory about the sweet house where I sat with Edith and listened to her sing and play her guitar, I did a Google search and what I found took my breath away. The house was gone. And in its place was a new house set far back on the lot with a concrete driveway occupying the place where Edith's house once stood. It felt like Edith had been wiped from the face of the earth. If you want to see what our education partners are doing to bring this precious history into classrooms across the country, have a look at unerased.org. I'd like to thank our hardworking executive producer, Sarah Burningham, our wonderfully meticulous engineer, Casey Holford, our patient composer, Fritz Myers. Thank you to Hannah Moak, our social media guru, our webmaster, Jonathan Dozer Ezel. And we had production assistance from the incredibly talented Jenna Weiss-Berman, whose enthusiasm, excitement, and dedication to this project has made it possible. The Making Gay History podcast is a co-production of Pineapple Street Media with funding from the Arcus Foundation. Learn more about Arcus and its partners at arcusfoundation.org. And if you like what you've heard, please subscribe to the Making Gay History podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also find all our episodes on our website at makinggayhistory.org. You're on now. Scattered are we over land, over sea. How many we number will never be known. Each one must learn from the storm. She must wear a mask on her heart and live in a world set apart. A shy, secret world of her own. Here's to the days that we yearn for to give of our hearts as we may. Love's always love in sincerity given, despite what the others may say. The world cannot dare to deny us. We've been here since centuries past. And you can be sure our ranks will endure as long as this old world will last. So here's to a fairer tomorrow When we'll face the world with a smile 
The right one beside us to cherish and guide us. This is what makes life worthwhile. The right one beside us to cherish and guide us. This is what makes life worthwhile.